Just making sure. So, a few things before the sermon. We are starting a new series. Uh, we're going to look over the Beatitudes. Now, the idea is, well, my idea is, uh, I wanted to do a series over the Spirit, but I, I want more time to prepare for that. So, we're going to go over the Beatitudes, partially because I referenced one last week, and that kind of inspired, hey, you know what, let's do a series on the Beatitudes as I prepare for a series just on the Spirit. And so this is going to take us through the end of November, and then the beginning of December, we are going to focus solely on the Spirit. Now, you probably noticed that I talk about the Spirit, I've, I've talked about the Spirit a lot in my sermons, but uh, I think it is something that has been neglected in a lot of churches, right? Well, we've, many people underestimate the Spirit, and so we're going to take some time to soak, uh, focus solely on the Spirit. And then after that, I think New Year's will probably, don't, don't take my word on this, uh, I haven't started on this yet, but it's just an idea we're probably going to start in the Gospel of John, and that's going to be kicking off New Year's. So just so you know, I do plan, I do plan ahead, you know, just to ease your conscience. So uh, as you can see, hashtag blessed, right? So that's the sermon series that we're going to cover. That's what I'm going to call it uh, as we go through the Beatitudes. Now, this hashtag at one point, and I guess it still kind of does, it, it flooded the internet, right? Uh, if you've used it, uh, that's okay. But uh, you used to see this constantly on the internet on social media posts, and uh, people would use it for pretty superficial stuff, right? Uh, they would go to Starbucks, they'd get their frap, and they'd say, oh, I got my frap today, hashtag blessed, right? Or, or maybe they'd go to, I don't know, Kohl's and go buy a new shirt. And they'd have a new shirt, and they say, hashtag blessed. Uh, and I'd probably not go to Kohl's and say, hashtag blessed. But uh, you get my point. Often you would see on social media, and now I'm saying hashtag, but some of you older folks might be thinking, that's a pound sign. What are you talking about? Yes, I understand. I understand it's a pound sign, but many people understand it'd be a hashtag. And so anyway, a lot of people use this hashtag, hashtag blessed, for superficial things. All right? And now here's the thing about that. When you use this for super, superficial things, when you use the idea of being blessed in that way, it plays into something called retribution theology. Right? And so now retribution theology, if you haven't heard this phrase before, essentially it states uh, good people get good things and bad people get bad things. Right? Bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. And so when, we use, when people use this hashtag for superficial stuff, like, oh, it's good that I got this, it's good that I got this. It plays into this retribution theology, right? If, if good things are happening to me, I must be blessed. But here's the thing. Jesus, he challenges this idea. Just because good things might be happening to you does not necessarily mean you are hashtag blessed. Right? Jesus, he challenges this in John chapter 9. There's this man born blind and the disciples ask, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus says, not this man nor his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then in the Beatitudes, as we're going to cover, he challenges this idea. He challenges the idea, if, you are, if you, good things are happening to you, you are blessed. So let's look at Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, we're going to see exactly who and what Jesus thinks it means to be blessed. So Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 through 25, this is going to set the context for the Beatitudes. And he went throughout all Galilee, 
teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, uh, paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the uh, Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So this is the context. When Jesus goes up on the mountain to, to preach the Sermon on the Mount, when he, tell, when he tells them of the Beatitudes, blessed are fill in the blank, this is the audience. This is not people who are rich. This is not people who everything's just going right for them. These are afflicted people. These are people with diseases, and Jesus is telling them, you are blessed. How? How are these people blessed? Well, let's look at Matthew 5, verses 2 through 3, or Matthew 5, verses 1 through 3. Seeing the crowds, he went upon the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. I'm actually going to stop here for a bit. This is just kind of a teaching moment. He ascended on the mountain. Does this call back anything to you? Right, who else ascended upon a mountain? Moses, right? And so let's go to Exodus real quick. Exodus chapter 19. This is just kind of me uh, nerding out a little bit, but that's okay. Exodus chapter 19, verses 16 through 20. The text says, On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down the mountain, uh, came down on Mount Sinai on top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Right, and so in Exodus we see Moses, he ascends a mountain, but notice the difference here between Jesus and Moses. This mountain, it's covered in lightning, it's covered in thunder, it's covered in smoke, it's, it's grand. And only Moses ascends up the mountain. He ascends up the mountain, uh, nobody's able to come with him. Jesus ascends up the mountain and uh, his disciples come with him. Moses, he comes down the mountain and he brings teachings on uh, the, ten, or the Ten Commandments on some tablets. Jesus, he gives a teaching directly from his mouth. You see, you see this change between Moses and Jesus. Jesus, he's God on earth. He invites people with him up the mountain. He, he speaks directly to them. So that's who we're dealing with here in the Beatitudes, who's speaking to these, these afflicted people. So let's look at verses 2 and 3. This is what we're going to focus on today. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now this word blessed, it has connotations of being in divine favor. So when they hear this, when they hear this word blessed, they're not just thinking, oh, good things are happening to me. They're thinking God's favor is upon me. So Jesus is saying, you, you have God's favor. These poor in spirit. But who are these poor in spirit? Well, the text seems to be implying those in spiritual poverty, meaning they're people who understand how much they lack spiritually. They're not doing well spiritually, right? But maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a good thing to understand that we lack spiritually. 
understanding we lack righteousness. And Jesus tells these people, for yours, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, think of the context. The people he's talking to. Afflicted, diseased people. You're blessed, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Many people in that time would not have considered these people blessed. The, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the rich, those were the blessed people. God's favor, according to them, that those are the blessed people. They got good things. That's surely what it means to be blessed. They also thought that's what it meant to, meant to be righteous. Uh, the Pharisees, the, the teachers of the law, those who are rich, right? They considered themselves to be righteous. But in contrast, Jesus talking to these afflicted people, he says, blessed are you, you who understand that you, you are lacking, you are poor in spirit, you are spiritually impoverished. See, those who understand this, those who understand they are not righteous, they are the ones who are blessed. Let me tell you, those who think they make themselves righteous, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3 verses 10 and through 12. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not a faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Those who think they make themselves righteous will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. We are not righteous by doing all the right things because we cannot do all the right things. We are a people deprived of righteousness. We are a people poor in spirit. One passage that really highlights this that I love, it's really probably one of my favorite passages, is Ezekiel 37. Turn to Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37, verse 1. Uh, this, is like, this is a passage that when I read it, it sends chills down my spine, literally. Like, I, I don't know if you ever read Scripture. Hopefully this happens sometimes. You read it and it's just so... Powerful. It has a lot of emotion in it. So let's read Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of dry bones. Full of dry bones. Anytime you see uh, in, in the text when it says someone is in the Spirit, something, or whether it be Old Testament or New Testament, something important is about to happen or, or be said. And so here he has this vision, this vision of a valley. You can see the picture uh, that kind of communicates this. It portrays it. A valley of dry bones. What would you think if you saw this? A literal valley of, of bones. Just people who have been dead. It would be terrifying, right? You'd wonder why, how. You see, this is portraying, this is depicting 
our spiritual poverty. This valley of dry bones, that's what all mankind is spiritually. We are deprived of righteousness. We are deprived of the Spirit. Verses 2 and 3. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord, you know. Can these bones live? But if you were to look out upon this valley of dry bones and you saw them in real life, according to our worldly knowledge, we would look and say, yeah, no, they've been dead a long time. They can't live. But Ezekiel says, Lord, you know. Man, if we could have that mindset when when we are talking to God, In every day of our life, Lord, you know. Understanding that we may not know, but God knows. Ezekiel understands. He couldn't even even attempt to explain how they could live. God, I, I don't know. You know. He understands he cannot provide a way for these bones to live. You see, we do not have life as we know it. We do not have spiritual life without God. We don't. Verse 4. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. See, the word brings life. Both literally, God spoke things into existence. God spoke us into existence. So the literal word of God brings life. And this has another meaning, the word of God that is Jesus. Jesus as the Word brings life. We saw that in John chapter 1, right? Nothing was made without Him. Jesus as the Word brings life and God's literal spoken words bring life. Verses 5 and 6. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath or spirit to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and, you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And you shall know that I am the Lord. What came before that knowing? God just said he's going to put his spirit, it says breath, but a good translation is spirit. He's going to put his spirit in us, and we will know that he is the Lord. See, church, we cannot know God without the Spirit. I'm going to touch on this later when we get to the series on the Spirit, but that's one thing we have to understand. We cannot know God without the Spirit. Verses 7 and 10 through 10. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone, and I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin covered them. But there was no breath or spirit in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, the spirit. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the spirit, or breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath, or spirit, came into them. And they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Now another word for that 
uh, word we see translated as rattling could be earthquake. So just think about that. If everybody is just reality, spiritually, is just dry bones, we're talking about billions of people. Right? That's our state without God. We are dry bones. Of course it would be an earthquake. Billions of bones, right? Rattling, it would cause an earthquake. Verses 11 through 14. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. When you open your graves and raise uh, you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Now a few things about this text. It's written in the context of when Judah was taken off into exile, right? So obviously it has application to them. Uh, the, the people that, who were literally being beaten by the Babylonians, people who were enslaved by the Babylonians would have felt like they were dead, right? And so obviously he's talking to them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you back to your land. I'm going to rescue you from captivity. So it talks about their context, but this has further implication. This points to the future. Look at verses 12 and 14 again. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves. Verse 14, skip down, And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. You see, this points to a few different things. Not only does it apply to them in their context, this points even to when the disciples had the spirit come upon them at Pentecost. And this even points to Christ's second coming when people rise from their graves, as the text literally says, and you will rise from your graves. This ultimately points to the heavenly kingdom of God after Christ returns. And Jesus, back in Matthew, Matthew 5, verse 3, he points the poor in spirit. Those who are in spiritual poverty, he points them to the kingdom of heaven. And remember who he's talking to. Right, the people present, they're probably confused as to why Jesus is talking about being poor spiritually. Jesus, are you kidding me? Look at me. Right? I barely have clothes. I don't have any food. So why are you talking about being poor in spirit? See, here's the thing. Jesus understands that their spiritual need is more dire than their physical need. Physical poverty is temporary. Spiritual poverty is an eternal matter. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not, I'm not saying that uh, meeting people's needs, meeting people's physical needs is not important, nor do I think Jesus is saying that. But he's trying to emphasize that your, your spiritual need is more important right now. You may, you may see that you don't really have many clothes. You may see you don't really have food. But what you really don't have that matters is the Spirit. The spirit that sanctifies, the spirit that changes, the spirit that allows you to enter into God's eternal kingdom. Spiritual poverty is an eternal matter. Physical poverty is a temporary matter. Now, all this being said, we're obviously going to work to meet people's basic physical needs. We're obviously going to do that. We're going to love them in that way. But as we love them and as we serve them, we've got to keep in mind their spiritual 
need. Take John 4 as an example, right? We have Jesus and the woman at the well. And Jesus asks her for a drink, and she's all confused as to why he's talking to her. You shouldn't be talking to me because I'm a woman and I'm a Samaritan. And then Jesus tells her, you know, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for, for a drink because I would give you living water. And the main point of that passage is that the woman is so focused on the physical. She's focused on how she shouldn't be talking to him. She's focused on where we should worship. But really, Jesus is trying to get her to understand, look, you are missing out on the spiritual. You're so focused on what's in front of you, you don't see what's really important. Now, I know it's hard to look past our physical needs. After all, we have physical eyes that see uh, we're in a physical body. It's hard. Right? But here's the thing. God knows that you have physical needs. He knows you need clothes. He knows you need food. He knows you need sustenance. God knows that. Remember, we talked about uh, Matthew chapter 6 last week. Right? And so let's turn there real quick. Matthew chapter 6. And essentially, Jesus, he's talking about you shouldn't be anxious about all these physical things. Okay, so let's look again at verses 31 and 32. Jesus says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. See, God knows. God knows you have physical needs. But here's the thing. Look at verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. His kingdom, his righteousness, those are primarily spiritual Things He's trying to get you to realize your, your, your more dire need, which is the Spirit of God. See, church, God knows that you need Him. He knows that you need Him for, for your physical well-being. And God knows that you need Him, most importantly, for your spiritual well-being. And I hope you realize how much you lack. Because the more you recognize your spiritual need, the more you recognize your need for God. And guess what? Blessed are all of us because we are spiritually poor. We got to recognize that because ours is the kingdom of heaven. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Just recognize you are spiritually in poverty. And you will inherit a kingdom that is eternal, a kingdom where you are going to be in God's presence, a kingdom that is everlasting. And so if you want to join that kingdom, you can now. If you have any need, whether it be prayer for your your spiritual well-being, you can come now as we stand and sing.